Welcome to the Do Life Better podcast, where we believe that you get to create who you have been and who you become, and that it's often the smallest changes and actions that make the biggest difference. I'm your host, Dave Jorner, and each week I will bring you the best guests, tips, and messages to inspire and help you and me do life even better. Thank you for joining me today. Now, let's get started. Hi friends and thank you for choosing to spend some time with me today and for today's fan of the week it feels like it's been a while since we've had one but we have another one on for today so today's fan of the week comes from Leanne and she sent me a nice message on Instagram and I'll just read the end of it and it says it's podcasts like yours that get people through the week inspire others and I wanted to say a huge thanks for all your time and effort. I'm still learning about myself and improving as a person, even at 52, and now passing this on to my daughter. Keep the podcasting coming. Thanks, Leanne. So, Leanne, thank you very much for that. I really do appreciate the time you took to send me that message, and it's never too late to keep working on yourself and to start working on yourself even, and it's so nice to know that you're passing these messages on to your daughter as well. So, Leanne, again, thank you very much. And if you would like to become the fan of the week, please do leave a rating and a review in whichever podcast app you use to listen to this. And I'll read it out as well. So please make sure you do leave us a review. Now, you might recall in a recent episode, I was interviewed by Jamin Fraser from the Insecurity Project. And we spoke all about my personal insecurities and my methods for pushing through and overcoming them. Well, today we have Jamin Fraser on our podcast and he is a leading voice globally in dealing with personal insecurity. So he takes a deep dive into where these feelings of not being good enough come from and how to overcome them. So if you have ever felt that there is something holding you back from becoming your truest, most confident self, then this one is for you. And before we get into it, I am a little bit excited because I just recently received my brand new living shirt in the mail the other day and I also ordered one of those little stickers I can put on my guitar case and I have to say I really do quite like them. And you can also get your hands on some of their apparel as well as part of our very special offer only available to the Do Life Better community. You see, coming up soon, I'll be interviewing Sam Webb who is a co-founder of Livin'. And living is all about living your life at the top and breaking the stigma of mental health, connecting, supporting, and encouraging one another to talk about their feelings and challenges because it ain't weak to speak. Through the development of cutting-edge education programs, trendy fashion apparel, and cool awareness initiatives, living is launching a generation of change. And as I said before, we do have a very special offer only available for the Do Life Better community. So, if you jump onto the Livin website, which is livin.org, L-I-V-I-N.org, and when you choose your shirts and all the and jumpers and everything, when you get to the checkout and put in the coupon code Do Life Better, that's one word, Do Life Better. When you use that coupon code, you will receive 15% off all of your purchases. 
Now, this is valid until the 21st of December 2018. So it's absolutely perfect if you just want to get some new summer wear or if you need that last minute gift for a friend or a family member. Again, use the coupon code Do Life Better, and then you will receive 15% off. Now, please note this is not a sponsorship arrangement. I don't benefit financially in any way if you purchase from their website. Sam Webb and I thought this might just be a nice way for the Do Life Better community to be able to support the incredible vision that Livin has uh, of breaking the stigma of mental illness. So again, jump on their website, livin.org, use that coupon code Do Life Better, and you'll receive 15% off all purchases. And now for today's episode, Jamin Fraser is an Australian personal development expert and is one of the leading voices globally in dealing with personal insecurity. Jamin is the founder of the Insecurity Project, the voice behind the popular One Minute Coach radio segment, which is featured on stations all around Australia. In fact, you might have even heard him on there before. He is the author of Elegantly Simple Solutions to Complex People Problems and the soon-to-be-released Unhindered, How to Be Free from Insecurity Before You Are 40. He specializes in helping 35- to 40-year-old entrepreneurs eradicate insecurity so they can show up to life unhindered by doubt, fear, and self-limiting beliefs. So please make sure you do take a screenshot of this episode. As usual, share it out there on Instagram. Tag me at Dave Jorner and at Do Life Better Podcast. And please also include Jamin. You can tag him in at One Minute Coach. That's the word One Minute Coach. Tag him in there as well. That way we can reach out and say thank you for listening and enjoying this. So for now, I hope you enjoy and find great value in this chat with Jamin Fraser. Jamin, thank you very much for your time on the Do Life Better podcast today. Hey, Dave. It's great to be here. It's always a real treat to get to talk about these kind of things with anyone, so I appreciate the invitation. Yeah, absolutely. And it's uh, it was great to have a chat with you on your podcast recently, and uh, you really got me a lot more interested in that whole idea of insecurity and, and where it comes from and how we overcome it and work through it. So today I thought we'd you know, turn the microphones around and uh, invite you to come on to our podcast. And I know that I guess we're gaining a lot from your experience and, and you have a lot more knowledge and wisdom in this area. So again, thank you for your time with this. Um, now, one of the questions, actually, the very first question you asked me on your podcast was all about my upbringing and you know, the influence my parents had on me. So I'd love to hear about your version of your story for that. Yeah, sure. So um, my parents were sheep farmers from Collector and, you know, I feel like a tree planted in good soil. That's a metaphor that I've just, it just helps me make sense of my upbringing because it feels yeah, like I I got everything that I needed and and specifically love. I think I grew up in a very loving environment. My, my parents, um, I don't think they're perfect parents, but I think they're wonderful, and I'm very grateful for the influence they had on me. I, mm-hmm. I think they they did marriage very well, which was really beautiful, and I think it's part of why I do marriage well because I I was given a, a really great model. Um, mm-hmm. Part of why I got married really young, I suppose, because because I believed that marriage could be a wonderful thing where so many people experience. Um, a, a lot of pain when they look at their parents' marriage. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I experienced a lot of lot of joy. So, yeah, um, I grew up in a very uh, Christian home, which was mm-hmm. a wonderful experience. Like I, I loved that. It, it was a, a really beautiful story to grow up in, and it gave me permission to be at my best where it mattered most. It helped me be generous and kind and emotional and relational, and uh, it, it was a really lovely, lovely upbringing. 
Um, so again, other people experienced really messy experiences in the Christian faith growing up. I, I didn't, I didn't experience anything ugly inside the Christian story growing up. So again, a tree planted in good soil. Um, I think I, as a firstborn, I, I naturally tended towards, um, you know, lead and respond. So I was school captain in year six and end year twelve, and was a responsible kid and liked to do the right thing. You know, I didn't rebel at all in my teenage years. In, in fact, some of the listeners may have heard me tell this story elsewhere around having to rebel in my thirties. Um, rebellion is actually a really important stage of human development, and uh, there are lessons that you learn around who you are and what you're capable of in rebellion that you don't learn anywhere else. So I had to go and do that later because I didn't do it. As a teenager, I was, I was a responsible kid and a good kid. Um, I, I, so while I tended towards leadership, I wasn't naturally that confident. Um, you know, I, I developed late. Mm-hmm. You know, I probably went through puberty when I was 16 or 17. So I was a small kid and an underdeveloped kid, and yeah. that affected my sport. I loved sport, but I wasn't very good at it. Mm-hmm. I joined uh, – I got invited to play basketball with all my mates in year three, and they are a team of champions – and I was hopeless, and I was hopeless for about five or six years on that team. Wow. Just, you know, had all the gear and no idea and was consistently the kid on the team that no one wanted to pass the ball to. Mm. Um, somehow I, I stuck at it. I don't really know how, but I, I just love sports so much and want to be a part of it. But, you know, and then I played cricket and was always into running but was never that good, just tried really hard. Mm-hmm. So that, that was interesting because it kind of formed a few beliefs about myself that then in later years I've had to go back and revisit and, and unpack because uh, it's kind of kind of limited me, but um, yeah. So I was going to do landscape architecture at uni after failing to join the army, and uh, I don't know what what I was thinking, but you know perhaps it was about um, I, dad. Dad's always building these great rock walls in the garden at home, and he's very skilled at it. And so I tried my hand at building a rock waterfall when I was in year 11 and, right. you know, thought it, thought it was incredible. But <laughs> in hindsight, looking back on it, there's just these pile of rocks that are just this is this is mess a haven for tiger snakes now that wasn't that good so i'm, I'm glad somehow that i didn't pursue that career i, yeah. I deferred uni after getting in uh, to that that field and then um uh yeah deferred and end up meeting my now wife mm-hmm. uh getting engaged that year and i ended up going to bible college and and training to become a minister and okay. uh become a youth pastor a few years down the track, and then was given the the senior leadership of the church I'd grown up in at 23, oh, which wow. was um, yeah a lot of responsibility for a youngster. And uh, you know, I it, it was quite surprising because I thought you know one day I'd eventually lead a church, but but when the opportunity came at 23, I thought, oh my goodness, I'm not ready for this. I can't believe that people think this is this is me. But um, put my hand up and and you know spent 10 years as a, a church pastor. Mm. So uh, it was a, a baptism of fire because we, you know, we had a Christian school and a daycare centre as well. And six oh, weeks wow. into the job, I found out that that it was trading insolvently. So there was a lot of financial mess and a bit of bit of mismanagement to clean up. So uh, yes, yeah, so that's a bit of my backstory. I don't know how, where else you want me to explore. Yeah. I could go down all kind of rabbit holes, but that, <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll leave it there for the yeah, time yeah, for bit. sure. It turns out, I'm um, just listening to you now. There's, there's a lot that we actually have in, in common uh, from our past. I never realised how similar we, we were. Um, yeah, you're right. Talking, you're talking about playing basketball. I played basketball for one year, and our team weren't the team of champions. Our team lost every single game. <laughs> um, I don't know how we managed to do that, but we did. And then I was kind of like, again like like you. I was the, the kid who loved sports but didn't really excel in anything. Like I, I loved doing cross country, but I was always the first reserve. 
uh, that type of thing. So my confidence, I think, was maybe held back in sport because I never quite made it, though I really loved it. And yeah, then, sure. um, interestingly enough, you spoke about doing um, landscape architecture at uni. Uh, I got into architecture at uni and I didn't actually like it. <laughs> it wasn't what I was going yeah, for. Yeah, wow. I wanted to do graphics design and um, I dropped out of architecture and did uh, psychology, then started doing ministry in schools as well. So sounds like we have quite a common backstory there, which is really Amazing. interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it is interesting. Yeah. So was it then your ministry that led you into working in the area of insecurity and helping people overcome that? That's a good question because as a pastor, I had the privilege of being invited into people's world to have pretty serious conversations around mm. what was going on for them. People trusted me, you know, to, to speak into their lives, uh, which was always an amazing privilege. But I, I found myself constantly having conversations with change about people that never led to change. Mm-hmm. Uh, which was fascinating because I, I was always wondering what is it that stops people actually dealing with their stuff? And I found that uh, in, in my experience, my observation, it seemed like a lot of the Christian story got in the way of people dealing with their stuff because people consistently were outsourcing the change work to God. Mm-hmm. You know, if I rock up the church, if I pray, if I read my Bible, if I do spiritual things, then God will, will somehow take care of the mess. He'll, he'll heal me. He'll fix me, fix my marriage, heal my finances, put my life back together. So I'm just going to trust God and wait for God to, to do a miracle, mm-hmm. um, which is quite a, an immature and, and childlike way of thinking about life and and actually works against change. Um, mm. You know, I think the invitation to grow up to maturity is, is a key biblical idea, but one that has a bit of resistance for most people. So so I think it was this this frustration around why don't why don't I see people change, um, and this exploration around human behaviour. Uh, I, I got introduced a coaching skill set from uh, a guy named Greg Bellingham who who came to do this spiritual retreat for our church one time and introduced some of the, the coaching ideas. And instantly I was I was blown away by how sharp and powerful these ideas were, and thought this has been a missing technology for me. Mm. And you know, I went and did some study straight away on the coaching stuff and just began to explore some of the, the psychology around why people do what they do and, um, you know, some of the fears and, and doubts and limiting beliefs that, that create patterns of behavior. Uh, so so I got into coaching um, almost directly after that. I'd, I'd spent 10 years as a church pastor, a couple of years as a school chaplain and knew that that season was coming to an end and handed the church over to a, a young couple I'd been, um, you know, preparing for that role and and ventured out into the marketplace uh, as a coach. It's an interesting space coaching because it's not a regulated industry, so there's no barriers to entry, you know. So I literally started a coaching business four weeks after my first training intensive. Wow. <laughs> Which was, um, you know, I, I came home from that, that weekend all pepped up on Mountain Dew, all ready to go change the world. Yeah. and. You know, told my wife I was quitting quitting my job as a chaplain and going to start a coaching business, and she cried. Um, you know, not not happy tears, the other kind of tears. Uh, you know, because I was, but I just was so confident that this was what I was designed to do, and I could make it work. And it was so much harder than I thought. But anyway, um, you know, to get back to your question, it was just this exploration around how do people change? What are the things that really hold people back? And just just longing to have transformational conversations with people rather than behavior managing them or putting band-aids on. 
Yes. Uh, yeah. You know, so I, I started my coaching business. I developed a program for employment agencies dealing with Stream 4 clients, which was how they were classified, you know, 10 years ago or so, which was the most long-term unemployed. And I, I had six individual sessions with with each of these individual clients and it was an exploration into their whole identity and their whole belief structure and why why it was that they were stuck parked on the side of the road um, paralyzed by doubt and fear and and i knew that just giving them a kick up the bum and just a few action steps were never going to get them moving it had to be a deep conversation around how they how they saw themselves and so i was really cutting my teeth with some people who were significantly stuck that just helped me continue to discover that underneath all the surface level dysfunction is these deep disempowering narratives around not being good enough that mm. really paralyze and i just thought if i can develop my skill set around helping people have those conversations i reckon uh, i reckon there's a chance that people could actually make lasting change and and so i was always so um amazed at how people who'd been written off as hopeless could still find a way to release themselves and and give themselves permission to change when they had the right tools and were able to have the right conversations. So so I think, yeah, it's just I'm a very pragmatic person, so I love to see what works. Mm-hmm. I have a very low tolerance for hype. Um, you know, I, I, it has to make sense in my mind, so so I just want to see real results in the real world. So, so I think that has continued to push me away from behaviour management and lightweight conversations to, to deep conversations and lasting change. And I think that exploration is just, it keeps pointing me down this road of, um, you know, the narratives, the story we live out of. And uh, yes, I feel like dealing with insecurity. Um, I've, I've surrendered to that idea. Like I, I could do nothing else. I, I think that's, that's me. That's what I was designed to do and what makes most sense. And I think it's the problem that I was, I'm most uh, equipped to solve in the world. So uh, long answer to your question, but that's that's a bit of how I got to dealing with insecurity. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Thank you. And just that that want for lasting change, um, that's so important, isn't it? You know, there, there's a lot of people out there at the moment about hype, about motivation, about inspiration, and, and they're important, but it's got to be deeper than that. As you're saying, it's got to be more than just that Band-Aid fix. It's got to be about helping them to create that more ongoing change um yeah so, so nice work with that yeah thank you I, I i totally agree i think um to see people actually empowered and resourced and i i do believe people have all they need inside them mm-hmm. they're just being limited by doubt fear and insecurity and so to facilitate them to find their own answers and, and give themselves permission to move forward and you know take their own handbrake off mm. Um, then that does create lasting change rather than pumping someone's tires up for a bit mm. and then the moment you stop doing it well then there's it was all external motivation anyway so you haven't given them anything lasting yeah true so instead teach them how to pump up their own tires well exactly right yeah mm. and um, unlocks in, unlock internal motivation which is far more deeper and long lasting for sure so then how do we like, I'd imagine insecurity comes from a whole bunch of different uh, reasons and and um, areas and so on. But are there more common ways that we gain insecurity? Or well, uh, my theory around that mm. is that every child who enters the world is born with a strong sense of self mm-hmm. and has a 
has owned the fact that they are valuable and worthwhile. And I think that's evidenced by the fact that they have no problems asking for help or, in fact, demanding attention when they have an issue. So you think yes. about a toddler, a not to two, you know, the moment there's an issue in their world, drop, drop their dummy, they're wet, they're tired, they're hungry, something's not perfect in their world, they don't care whether mum or dad is busy or tired or eating or <laughs> sleeping. It's just like, hey, listen, yes, you know, I've true. got a problem. And you need to come fix that for me right now. <laughs> yep. And I won't accept anything less than that. Yep. And I'll holler and scream and cry until I get what I want because I'm actually the most important person in this whole world. Mm. So, uh, yeah, so, so I think every child instinctively enters the world with a very healthy, high sense of significance and value and worth, mm-hmm. um, which is beautiful. But uh, and, I, and I think adults are genuinely, generally uh, uh, okay to, to – reflect that back to those children and care for them and meet every need. Mm. But then you get, get into that past that infant stage, into the toddler stage, and I think then you kind of expect to do a bit more yourself and adults are busy and preoccupied and then there's another kid on the way and there's some other competing interests. And so adults are less inclined to meet every whim and desire of those toddlers. And so that begins a, a period of doubt and questioning in the child's life to go, well, hang on a minute, maybe I, I was wrong. Maybe I'm not as important as I thought I was. Maybe I'm not uh, special or, um, you know, maybe I need to settle down. And so I think something interesting happens then that instead of owning their value and worth, then they outsource it to their world. They're like, well, I'd like to feel important and worthwhile. So how do I get that from my world now? What have I got to do? Mm-hmm. Who have I got to be? What have I got to say? What have I got to not say? What games have I got to play to get validated and accepted from my world? So I think there's this subtle but powerful switch that goes from an internal reference point to an external one you know, in every child's life as they grow. So so I think it's inevitable, no matter how good a parent is. Like I, I hear people's backstory all the time and I'm always fascinated by, by people who had wonderful parents who still picked up insecurity mm. because, um, you know, we're storytellers and we're constantly asking and answering two questions about every experience. You know, why did this happen and what does it mean about me? And, uh, you know, the research around the negativity bias suggests that we answer those questions negatively. And we assume that we are at fault or there's some inadequacy or some reason that we've contributed to the mess in our life. And so we personalize it and, um, you know, tell stories that it was our fault or we deserved it or if we were better, it wouldn't have happened. So, so yeah, so there's a couple of reasons. So, you know, as, as you grow up, you, you externalize uh, your value and worth and need your world to validate you. Um, plus the negativity bias around the stories you're telling around why things happen and what it means about you builds these stories around not being good enough. Um, and I think it happens for, for everyone, mm. no matter how wonderful your, your childhood is. Uh, we, we all develop some kind of limiting beliefs about ourselves, some kind of story that's, that holds us back in some way, shape or form. And then, um, yeah, and then most people never revisit those stories and never find a way out of those insecurities. So then how does these insecurities generally affect us? How does it hold us back? Well, I, I think ultimately, you know, if you, if you play it out to the end, I think it holds us back by creating mental madness or, or insanity. And, mm. and I don't think that's being dramatic. I think that's a, an accurate assessment of the state of play. You know, if you don't find a way to overcome or deal with uh these insecurities that somehow says you're not good enough, you're not enough, then it, it will drive you crazy. It will, it will cause you to 
show up at your worst where it matters most. It will cause you to be needy and desperate, to be jealous, to compare yourself with others, to hold yourself back, to be plagued with anxiety and miss life as it passes you by. Mm. And I think we, we all can, can look at elderly people who, um, without, without judging them, just looking and going, you know, it seems like this insecurity has become pathological. It is part of who you are as a person now. You are so consumed with this story. You, you are this story. Uh, so I think the stakes are high to find a way out of insecurity to to change the story around your own value and worth. I, I don't think many people find a way out, which is why I think it's so important to to do this work and to provide conversation around this piece. Um, you know, but but in everyday life, it shows up in all kinds of ways. Relationally, it causes you to be needy. So if you externalise your value and worth, well, then you show up to any relationship needing other people to validate and accept you which is which is dangerous because neediness is the most unattractive you could ever position yourself in any relationship and it affects your work because you doubt your own capacity so you hold back from opportunities you know it affects your health because if you're not good enough well then you can't afford to be at your best so typically I, you know, I have a, a strong statement around weight that I would say extra weight is always a hideout um, so okay. the pe- people who are totally secure are actually very healthy people and that manifests physically because it doesn't make sense for them to be anything other than their best. And they're holding back. They're not, there's nothing to prove or defend. So I wonder if gaining greater fitness helps you become more secure with yourself. So, and then, so maybe your fitness comes hand in hand with a secure, a secure personality. And then also fitness could help to create that security. but also. Um, I suppose just being careful because maybe sometimes some people try to chase that perfection in terms of physique and that type of thing, yet they still have that insecurity. They're still trying to chase this perfect image that they can't attain. Could that be true too? Well, for sure. So, mm. so I, I know people who are yeah, very driven around their health and are obsessed. And so I go, to look at you, that's not healthy. Um, it's out of control. Even though your physicality looks healthy, to watch your whole being, there's, that's not health. That's that's madness. Yes. Uh, yeah. The lengths you go to. So I think, um, but to watch someone who has nothing to prove and nothing to defend, who's given themselves permission to show up at their best, they are very attractive people. Mm. They are relaxed. Uh, they are present, and it doesn't make any sense for them to be anything other than their best. So they do show up uh, attractive and healthy. So, um, you know, I, I'm wary of behavior management strategies, as I've said before. So I think a strategy that says, right, so we're going to improve health and fitness to make you feel more secure. Then the, the difficulty with that is then you kind of need to be healthy and fit to mm. feel good about yourself. Yeah, true. So the moment something threatens that, then you're like, oh, my goodness, now I'm no good. Now, now no one likes me. You know, whereas if you approach it from the other end, just go, what if you were to deal with this insecurity first and that story story it was out of the way and you were okay with who you are then the flow-on effect the fruit of that is of course you would then move towards health of course then you would move towards great relationships of course then you would move towards meaningful work mm-hmm. you know so dealing with the belief and story first um you know because behavior just flows out of beliefs mm-hmm. so rather than giving people action steps around right try and be more healthy or more fit or try and improve your relationships or try and be better at work um, that's fighting against the narrative that's undermining those strategies anyway. I, I think it makes more sense to go deal with 
the story and the belief that's producing the behavior in the first mm-hmm. place mm-hmm. and help people have the conversations and do the deep soul work around their own value and worth and owning that. Because if yeah. you could deal with that, if you could show up to life secure and confident in who you are, well, then, of course, the fruit of that is you naturally move towards health, you naturally move towards good relationships, you, you naturally mm-hmm. move towards meaningful work. And so, yeah, I think beliefs before behavior in terms of a change strategy. Nice one. Thank you. So I'm curious then, in terms of um, your own story, so have there been for you some main insecurities? And if so, how did you work through them? Yeah, so I think when I first really uncovered insecurity in my life was when I when I went to write my first book. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was not long after doing the starting the coach training. I was in Melbourne doing another round of in, intensives, and I just was so clear around uh, this is what I wanted for my life, and this really made a lot of sense. And I was I just had this big dream around doing some good work in this space. And, and anyway, so I'm. I'm walking home from the, from the class and having a conversation with my wife on the phone, just painting this picture of my future and telling her I was going to start writing this book and um, I was really going to go be excellent. And I had the same conversation with my best mate and it was a really beautiful moment in time and it just was, was so excited and so passionate about the future I could see for myself. Uh, and then I went home to the hotel room and actually wrote the first chapter of my first book, which was another defining moment. Um, and so excited and alive and, and passionate about this work. And then literally the moment I shut the laptop, um, all that energy went from excitement to dread and fear and anxiety. And I was like, oh, holy shit, well, you know, what have I done here? I've, yeah. I've put this out there. I've told a bunch of people that I'm going to go do this and I've actually started it. What if it's no good? What if no one cares? What if I can't? What if I fail? Um you know, so I'd, I'd been hiding my whole life, well, in a, in a way, but now I'm saying, now I'm going to put my best foot forward. And what if my best foot is not good enough? Mm. Now I'm just going to experience some real pain. And it was intense. And I, I didn't sleep a wink all night. And wow. and just this anxiety, it was such a, a dramatic experience. It was like I'd taken the lid off this massive anxiety and insecurity that I'd never known was there. Um, and I, you know, it was cool that I was in the context doing some coach training at the time because it gave me some tools and, and thoughts to think about this a bit differently than than I may have done otherwise. Uh, but I think the key the key discovery was when I thought about dealing with this because I thought if I don't find a way to deal with this, this, this actually will destroy me. This is a powerful monster inside me and uh, it, it will cause me to show up at my worst where it matters most. So I have to find a way through this. So, so then I thought about, okay, so why am I insecure then? And my mind went back to some particularly painful moments growing up, um, you know, some bullying experiences, some, some experiences with a teacher in particular, um, some conversations with mum and dad, some, just some different things that in my mind were, were very painful and, and had weakened my own opinion of myself. Mm-hmm. And I thought, that's why I'm insecure because of what, what has been said or done to me. Mm-hmm. So, which is in a sense being the victim of, of that. And so if, if you're the victim, then the only hope is that the perpetrators make it right. They come and fix it for you because they were the ones that ruined it in the first place, which yeah. is an interesting strategy because um, what if they don't? What if they never come and fix it? What if they're incapable of fixing it? Mm. Then you're, you're stuck as a victim for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. And so it was part of understanding uh, the nature of story and meaning through the coach training that helped me have a very different thought about that and, and to realize that, in fact, um, you know, because we're storytellers, life isn't about what happens to us. It's about the meaning we place on the things that happen to us. 
So it, I wasn't insecure because of what had been said to me. I was insecure because when things had been said and done to me, I decided they were true and they were right. So it was actually my own opinion of myself that had created insecurity. I was the one that had told myself I was no good. I was one that had agreed with certain experiences and said the reason that happened is because you're no good. So it was actually I, – I wasn't just the actor in the story. I was the storyteller. Mm-hmm. I was the one. And so that – was empowering discovery because it meant I'm not a victim. It, uh, I'm I'm the one who created this, and therefore I'm the only one who can change it. So then it was about learning how do I actually go change this? How do I understand this storytelling process and uh, the ability to be the hero in my own story and, and go and deal with this monster I've created? Um, so I think that was a particularly amazing experience for me and then, um, you know, set me on this journey of continuing to go down this path and face my own fears about myself and find a way through so that I, I continue to show up um, in the area where I was designed to. Like, like I, every day I have people say, Jamin, you, you're doing good work in the world. And I go, thank you, I, I agree. And it's nice to feel like I'm doing what I was born to do. And But I didn't. Like no one just put me here. I didn't just wake up and find myself here. I'm mm. here because of the fact that I have faced the stories about myself that I told myself that would have stopped me being here. That's how I'm here. And and it's nice to then be able to facilitate other people doing that same thing so that they can show up in the space they were born to occupy as well. Yeah, nice. So then what are the steps? So I, I believe um, you know, on your website you have the seven steps of unhindered. So – what can we do then? If we feel insecure in certain areas, how can we allow ourselves to be unhindered? Yeah, so I think all the research around uh, how this works, and I think, you know, this is not this is not just my thinking. Uh, there are people doing great work in this space. who have been doing great work in this space for a long time. Mm. And, and so I've just some, some thought that's already existed. But I think there are seven essential practices the way that I see it, and, and they're practices that, work no matter where you are because i think it's a lie to imagine you could live in security free my my distinction around being unhindered is to go okay these seven practices will help you deal with insecurity on the current level of growth you occupy but the moment you're free from insecurity then you'll run forward you'll you'll go occupy some new territory and then you'll find a new limit you'll find a new uh, ceiling You'll find a new story that you didn't see before that that wasn't limiting you before because it was not relevant. But you'll find another insecurity. Yes, yep. because you're in a you're in a bigger space. Yeah, and you work out that you were good enough for that last level, but are you good enough for this level? So the same seven practices you use to get unhindered at the last level will be the same you use for for this. So it's this cycle that keeps going on and on. Um, but you know, but really, really basically, the seven practices are first to step into the light, which which, uh, you know, Yoda says, named must your fear be before banish it, you can. Um, people are insecure about being insecure, mm. and, and most people are fighting battles that aren't the ones that are going to solve the problem. You know, they're, they're, they're fighting this insecurity where it manifests, which is in their health or their finances or their relationships, and they're trying to solve the problem there because mm-hmm. um, that's where it looks like the problem is. But the problem's not there. The problem is in their own belief structure about themselves and it's their insecurity. So it's a big deal to actually go, do you know what? Yep, there is some insecurity. I'm going to stop pretending that's not true and go, okay, that's that's my battle. That's that's what I've got to go face. And that's a big step and, and it, is, it is an essential step. Mm. Um, 
Secondly, it's to take 100% responsibility. So just like I described, stepping out of the victim space going, I'm not insecure because of what has been said or done to me. I'm insecure because of the stories I've told myself about why that happened and what it meant about me. Mm -hmm. I'm the storyteller. Uh, That's a big step. Um, Letting go of blame and excuse and embracing responsibility and choice. Uh, Thirdly, it's to stack the pain. So um, pain is an essential part of all change. If you don't feel pain about something, well, you have no motivation to change it. So to really feel the pain around the cost of insecurity, so to notice the seeds of madness in your own life and go, if I don't find a way to deal with this, the future does not look bright. And to to stack that pain and to feel that cost and to let pain do its work. You know, pain is designed as a loving voice to protect you from future pain. So you put your hand on the fire, it's supposed to hurt. Mm. Uh, you know, feeling no good about yourself is supposed to feel no good about yourself. That's kind of the point. Mm-hmm. And that pain is to say, hey, listen, can you do something about this so you don't feel like this in the future? So to really, rather than running away from that pain, to actually feel that pain is a very essential step. Nice. Um, four is to get a compelling life vision. So not just to allow pain to motivate you, because mm-hmm. then you'll get away from pain and then you'll have no more motivation, mm. but to also let pleasure motivate you. So to be drawn to a compelling life vision, to, to be clear about what you would love to have happen for your life and to be very clear around you know who you want to be and where you want to go because that that is the only thing strong enough to cause you to keep going on this hero's quest when it all gets hard and the, the obstacles stack up if you don't have a reason well then what's the point just go home give up now mm. uh, get help from someone who doesn't care about you which which sounds cold but is is essential because i think typically when people start to, to get help in this area they get help from the wrong people people mm. in the wrong way so they talk to friends and family about this and and friends and family they naturally don't want you to feel bad about yourself so they try and pump your tires up for you they say hey i think yeah. you're awesome you're excellent don't feel bad don't be anxious mm-hmm. you know you're okay chin up so they they try and fix you they give you advice um which is well-meaning but it is a form of judgment because they're positioning themselves as the expert Mm, so my number one job when i get to coach people is to is to convince them that i don't give a shit about them uh which is uh, a lot of fun actually (laughs) again it kind of sounds harsh but i suppose there there must be an element of caring that it works for them and and caring on a basic level but but not in that relationship well, I say, look, I care. Obviously, I care. Yeah. what I was born to do. But I realize that caring about you is the least useful I could possibly be. Yes, yes. Because the moment I bring my caring to the table, I'm going to want to fix you. And I'm going to yeah. want you to be different. And then it's going to be about me, not mm. you. Mm. So this is you. If you don't want it, me wanting it for you is useless. Yes. So you have to, you have to, you're the hero in this story. And until you position yourself like that, you will never change this. Mm. Mm. So that's a really important piece. And then the moment someone gets that, and, and they get that I'm just there to serve them, like it's straight away permission to have the realest, most honest conversation because I don't care. It's not my life, not my problem. I have no vested interest. So I become a very safe person. Yeah, yep. Um, so I think that's essential to, to have someone in your world who is objective about this. Exactly. And yep. not has no vested interest in whether you change or not. Uh, mm. Six years to go be the hero. Specifically, mm. the hero's quest is about actually facing this fear. Are you good enough or are you not? Finding mm. that out once and for all, examining your past mistakes, failures, behaviors, the moments of shame, disappointment. Why did you do what you do? Is it because you're bad? What happened there? And to really go all the way back and examine your own stories and examine your own beliefs and fears. And there is no way, there's no other 
why and request and uh, it's a beautiful thing and to come out the other side having um, reconciled that and to have faced your own fears and uh, understood your own inherent value even in the midst of that is there's no substitute for that so exploring the origins of the story and Mm -hmm. the first time you told yourself you're no good um, that is the work of the hero and then finally to rewrite the story so uh to be very intentional about retelling stories about yourself and having deconstructed limiting stories to be very intentional about writing beautiful enlarging um empowering narratives to live out of and to re reinforce those again and again until they become the new default uh, but rather than just do that work first because often that feel rushed to that i'm just going to be positive i'm just going to tell myself i'm awesome all the time i'm just going to have these wonderful cliches written on my mirror um, you know, you're beautiful, you're strong, you're powerful. It's like that that doesn't work. No. You have to deconstruct the old story first. Mm. If, if you don't, you have this prevailing narrative undermining all progress that your subconscious still believes is true and, in, and is vested in. So you have to deconstruct it before you can write a new one. Yeah, for sure. Jamin, thank you. And we'll put a, a link to your website up on the show notes. So anyone who wants these seven steps in detail, again, then to, to go back through them, um, you, yeah, please do go visit Jamin's website with that one. Actually, while we're talking about the website, Jamin, what's the address? Yeah, com or yep. com. Both of those point to the same uh, spot. Yep. Excellent. And we'll also uh, put your, your books in the show notes as well. So anyone who's interested in them um, and your podcast, Insecurity Podcast, please do go and, and check those out as well. Uh, so, Jamin, are there any other ways you'd like um, our listeners to get in contact with you? Uh, yeah, the website's the best. Um, yeah, I think I'm on Instagram as the yep. One Minute Coach. Some people have heard me on, on radio around the country as the One Minute Coach. You know, sound bites of of personal development content to help people reflect on doing the deep work rather than just uh, behaviour managing themselves. So yeah, nice. that's that's another way. Awesome. Now I don't want to keep you too long because I know you're about to head off to a prison to do some coaching in there, uh, which is some really meaningful work as well, Jamin. And uh, so before we get to the final two questions, is there anything I haven't asked you that would really benefit our listeners? I. I don't think so. I, I like Einstein's idea that, you know, make things as simple as possible but no simpler. Yeah. So I think the way out of insecurity is simple and hard. People imagine their stuff is complicated and unique. Mm. It just never is. Um, the moment you say something's complicated, it's just a form of hiding. Uh, you know, it's, oh, yeah, it's just complicated. It's like, oh, cool, you don't have to do anything about it. But it's not complicated. We all go through the same process. It's just, just hard, really hard. Mm. Um, and and the way out there is a way out of this so yeah i I think um, those seven practices are uh, the way to solve insecurity excellent thank you and if i can just throw in one extra question if you notice someone uh in your family or one of your friends or loved one has um insecurity what's one quick thing or what, what could you do to help them And maybe that's not a quick question. <laughs> uh, I don't know if there's one quick thing. Uh, I think, well, okay, so I think the most useful you can be to the people you care about is to model personal security. Nice. So go go t- take the plank out of your own eye before you worry about the speck in your, in your brother's eye, I think, mm. is the is the wisdom mm. around this. If you try and fix people and, and want them, you, you actually will be part of the problem. Yes. So 
yeah, model model personal security, do this work in your own life. And I think out of the overflow of that, then you get to be useful to others as well. That's great advice, Jamin. Thank you. So as you know, we like to finish these uh, episodes with two final questions. The first one being, what is your definition of doing life better? Uh, permission to flourish would be my answer to that question. Nice. I think uh, allowing yourself to be at your best where it matters most, I think, is, is doing life better. Um, rather than driving or forcing yourself or fighting against yourself, you know, I should be doing this and I wish I was doing that. It's to actually, you know, take the handbrake off and allow yourself to go where the life is mm-hmm. and, um, yeah, permission to flourish. Awesome. And then, so for our challenge for the week, Jamie, what would be one thing our listeners could focus on this week to help them work through their insecurities? Uh, well, I think it would be practice number one. The challenge would be to actually accept that the cause of your dysfunction is not on the surface. It's in your own belief structure about yourself. So mm-hmm. to stop running from insecurity and to own the fact that uh, there is insecurity there and if you don't find a way to work through it, it will destroy you. So important, Jamin. Thank you very much for that. Again, to the, the idea of taking control, not being a victim to the world around you, but being the survivor, taking control. And, and again, you decide what comes next. So, Jamie, that's um, awesome advice. Thank you very much. And uh, again, I know that you need to rush off very shortly, so I'll let you go. But, uh, Jamin, I just want to say thank you uh, and acknowledge you for the work that you're doing out there in the community. Uh, I think one of the greatest gifts you can give someone really is that self-belief, that self-worth, um, to help someone overcome that doubt that we have, overcome that feeling that we're not good enough. Uh, and to allow them to start believing in themselves, allow them to change their own story. Because you know, as you've been saying, once, once they can do that, once they can see that there is hope and they can be more and they can be the hero, then they can start achieving far more than what they ever imagined in the first place. So, Jamin, for the hope, for the life that you're giving a lot of people out there, um, I want to acknowledge you for that and thank you for all that. Yeah, thank you, Dave. I really appreciate that. Thanks, Jamin. Um, It's been a joy chatting with you today. And um, yeah, hopefully chat again sometime soon. Thanks, Jamin. Sounds great. Well, there we have it, everyone. And I hope this chat with Jamin was really helpful for you today. And please remember his challenge, which is accept the cause of your insecurities, which is from your internal belief structure about yourself. So stop running from your insecurities and own the fact that there is insecurity there and then take action. So all the very best in working on that one for this week. Now also please remember that special offer for the Do Life Better community from Livin, which is you will receive 15% off any purchase on the livin.org website if you use that coupon code Do Life Better. So again, when you do purchase something on there, uh, share it out on Instagram, tag us in there, tag Livin as well. We'd love to see what you got. So again, thank you very much for choosing to spend some time with me today. If you haven't already, please make sure you subscribe to this podcast. By subscribing, you don't miss out on any further upcoming episodes. So make sure you subscribe, leave a rating and a review, and then I will read it out as fan of the week in an upcoming episode. Again, thank you very much for choosing to spend some time with me today. Can't wait till next time. 
Thanks again for listening to the Do Life Better podcast. And have you subscribed yet? By subscribing to this podcast, that enables you to get notifications every single time a new episode is released. In your podcast app, you can find all the show notes for every episode. And if you'd like to get in contact, you can do so via email at hello at projecthatch.com.au. That's hello at projecthatch.com.au. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast, share it with someone you think would benefit from these messages. And now it's time to get out there and do life better.